This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive and necessary and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can't afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapists, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Hello again. Happy Tuesday, everybody. We have a really cool car debate going on today, and we also have an amazing guest. It's going to be a really awesome topic Tuesday day. Before we get there, though, in the world of car concepts, the Audi Active Sphere concept has been revealed. It is a luxury coupe that transforms into a pickup. Cybertruck. Oh, sorry. What? <laughs> well, that's really it. I mean, the truck is in the name, and it's very uh-huh. trucky and truck-like. This is a coupe that transforms into one. This is Audi going, we could do a Cybertruck. Tr- tr- <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. And it also might be out before the Cybertruck. That's true. We well, got pushed off again. This is still yeah. concept world. Mm-hmm. But it was conceived out in Malibu at the Audi Design Studio. And if there is one thing that I learned as a designer, it is never design something that transforms into something <laughs> else. It seems tempting. Uh It seems like the right thing to do. Designers have attempted this throughout history. Mm -hmm. I have learned I've paid the price. Do not design a reversible jacket or reversible belt or furniture that transforms as your child grows from kindergarten into their high school years. It turns into a a playpen and into a desk and then never do that. Ever. (laughs) This to my eye... I, I like that they're pushing on it. I yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, all the, the sphere concepts they've been coming sure, out yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. But this is kind of a boring shape. I hate to say it. Mm. But it has a hood as if there's a motor or a frunk or an engine mm-hmm. up there. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the front end, end of the car, if you look at the interior shots, there's nothing there. Mm. So... If we're really going to push concepts, we need to figure out how to repackage people. Mm-hmm. Let's design a new enclosure around the people and the things. And call it canoe. Instead, oh, oh. <laughs> Sorry. Walked into that one. Sorry. Keep going. There is one thing that it's still missing, and that is a steering wheel. I see people all the time desperately trying to mimic this concept by steering with their phones, and we're still not there. Inexplicably. Weird. Your car doesn't operate by phone. Mm. That's kind of what this does. But does anybody remember the 2004 GMC Envoy XUV, the one with the sliding roof in the back? Yes. And they always showed it with a dresser sticking out of the top. Do you remember the commercials where they somebody put in a widescreen TV still in the box? I was like, that is the most specific use case a vehicle yes. has ever been designed for. And that TV is shattered inside that box. Unbelievable. You they just careless they opened it. up the middle and they slid the TV vertically into the, into the SUV oh. and they drove away. And I thought... You have actually made a commercial where you made a car for one outing. One outing only. <laughs> Honey, I'm going TV. to get a TV. TVs last Done. a while. Yeah. They only built this for two years. Mm-hmm. Called it the XUV, and that's 20 years ago. Yeah. I can believe it. And I'm not really trying to lump in the Sphere concept from Audi in with this XUV, the but Envoy. But it did transform. It transformed, though, and I, <laughs> I see it. It's like a safari eyes future vehicle with no steering wheel and really no interior ahead of your feet, so it remains a concept because there's glass in the front, and guess what? You can't have that in an accident. You can't just have a glass panel and then nothing so you can see the accident coming at you at so, your feet. So this is Yay. an Audi designer who surfs 
and is intrigued by the canoe concept. They're intrigued. They wanted to put their own flavor yeah. on it. And I've met the Audi team. I used to work with the principal designer. Mm-hmm. I've met him a few times. Very nice. They're, they're great designers. And this remains a concept. They're, they're pushing boundaries. They're exploring. <laughs> they're, they're, they haven't uh-huh. really done something like this before. And so, you know, the back opens and you can put your mountain bikes in there and it's a Safari Eyes vehicle. And so it showed it out on the salt flats. Of course. I don't want to go mountain biking out on the salt flats. Just anybody, I know but, nobody called me, but, but I don't want to go mountain biking across happened. the desert. You, you, call, you call the director. <laughs> Thanks, but no. You call the director who's not a car person and has probably never mountain biked in his life. Ugh. And he goes, you know what I see? I see it on the salt flats. It was like stark deserty dunes. Yeah, uh-huh. Maybe it wasn't the salt flats, I know but it mean. was like flat and maybe some mountains off in the distance. I'm like, no, that's not where you park your bike. You don't well, start what's, there. What's there's the dry, there's a dry lake bed north of L.A. that has a salt salt flats style about it. And it they must have been around that area. Kind of thing. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it, but anyway, yeah, no that's thanks. The same kind of deal. Yeah, I'll take my pine trees. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> what you never want to do is mountain bike across something that is just reflective and hot. No. That's just that's not a good. That's you don't need a mountain bike for that. You need a car. That's the beginning with an air and end. Of a bad movie. Yeah, it is. So, Actosphere from Audi. You've I've, done well on I've that. You're it. a fan. I could tell. <laughs> I like the theme. Yes. I like that they're pushing. Mm. Again, back to don't make a car or an object or anything in your life transform into something else. I want my belt to be... My, <laughs> that's my black belt that I wear when I wear my black shoes. That's the brown belt when I wear my brown shoes. That's all I want is Somebody just out there, please the design... A normal watch <laughs> that transforms into a digital watch. No. Send it to Paul. Ugh. I just want to see it. Yuck. <laughs> There's other news. Spoiler alert. Big congratulations to Acura for winning the 2023 Daytona 24 mm. in the Grand Touring Prototype class. The GTP class is the top uh, premier class yeah, of yeah. prototypes. Uh, you, I believe it implies hybrid technology for all of those prototypes. But they actually took the top two spots... For the second time in a row, and wow. this is their third consecutive win at Daytona. So, Acura is doing something very right. Congratulations to them. <laughs> they, they, that's the only place they're dominating, but they're dominating right there for sure, which is they amazing. Yeah. I believe some of the designers got to design at their Southern Californian design studio, got to participate in the design of that car. I think that design team mm. took care of all the uh, design cool. and aerodynamics for that car. It looks great. So, congratulations to them. And on an unrelated note, at our Blipshift store, <laughs> the Daytona Daydreamer shirt is available from our friends. You go to our partner store at blipshift.com. Mm-hmm. And it is the track outline of Daytona. Yep. Yep. If you're a Daytona fan, it's a great shirt to have. When you remember a car that you're interested in, or you hear us debate a particular vehicle right here in the podcast, you need a way to search for it. Our friends at autotempest.com focus their efforts where it's most important, helping you find great cars, local nationwide, big listings or little ones. Or maybe you're the person all your friends talk to when they're car shopping. The folks at Auto Tempest rely on word of mouth too, and you'll give your friends the tool they need when you tell them about Auto Tempest. Autotempest.com slash everyday links you to nationwide listings from Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, so it enables you to search beyond the limited distances those sites generally support. So, when you're doing your drive homework, you're chasing the next family car, or just browsing to feed the disease, go to Autotempest.com slash everyday so they know that we sent you. Auto Tempest. All the cars. One search. For Topic Tuesday, we are hosting Ben Foley, who is a reporter on the regulation, risk, and enforcement team at the Wall Street Journal in New York, where he covers financial and business issues. Prior to that, he covered the automotive industry shift towards electrification for the journal from Detroit. 
He also wrote a little bit about Carvana. Mm. And we thought it would be very interesting for all of you listening to hear what he's learned over the past few years about the company. We keep running into less than pleasant news about Carvana, and mm-hmm. we hope he can shed some light on where they're at now and what that might mean for the industry of buying, selling cars, because that's what we're here to do is help that industry and well, make and, it better. And Carvana was so instrumental in buying up a bunch of stuff for a lot of money when car prices were skyrocketing. They yeah. were a part of that, mm-hmm. and he has dug in on it, so I'm fascinated. We're calling him now. Hello? Ben, hey, this is Paul. You got both Todd and Paul on the phone with you. Hey, man. We're glad to have you with us. Thanks for being here. It's really cool. Thanks uh, for having me. We're excited to talk to you about this. But Todd, you were just saying before the podcast began here that many listeners have written to us about having sold their vehicles to Carvana. In the last year, we had a lot of people. Actually, probably about a year ago is when it was really happening. We had a lot of people that were like, you know, I wasn't planning on selling, but I just realized, I just looked up on Carvana, and my car is worth X amount more than I thought it was. I'm selling it now. We had a ton of emails that came in that way. This is interesting. I thought, Ben, you could give us the backstory on everything that's gone on with Carvana because you have covered it, and I realize you did produce a video for Wall Street Journal. It looks like it was published back in August of 2022, uh, where you were interviewed again, but I feel like not a lot of our listeners have really heard the true story of Carvana and kind of the things that you know about the company. And I thought you could jump in wherever, just give us the background and, and uh, you know, we'll just kind of lead forward to, to where we are now. I would be glad to. So I started writing about Carvana in 2021, I think. I back then was an autos reporter. I was on the autos team out of Detroit, the Wall Street Journal. And Carvana was a big, high-flying pandemic stock. Uh, it was similar to you know some other companies that really caught a strong tailwind from the pandemic. Yeah, um, companies like Peloton, you know, because everybody's home, so. Oh, you know, sure. The gym and they're riding their bike. Everyone's and home and fat and I really ought to get a bike. <laughs> That's pretty much what yeah, happened. And, Car- <laughs> and, and so like basically anything that you could do at home on your phone, you know, mm, kind of got mm. a boost during the pandemic. You know, a company like Robinhood was like, sure. oh, now you're, now you're a stock trader on your phone or a company <laughs> like Carvana, which is like, you know, Zillow did really well for a while during the pandemic. And food so delivery. Like, I'm hungry. Yeah. You know, people, Send me people food. Had, because people had extra savings, right? But yeah. they also had mm. kind of like, you know, it was a time for fantasy and like property kind mm. of, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I could use a bigger house. So I'm going to go on Zillow. And, you know, so <laughs> Zillow scanning was like a thing. So with Carvana, you had this this kind of online first model to buying a car and e-retail model. And you had like the tech color, light blue branding, you know, and you had a really kind of... <laughs> <laughs> this is not your first day, Ben. Well done. Well done. Yeah. And, and you will and you had you had you know kind of you had an efficient you know well designed app and you and you had also a process that a lot of people don't love in shopping yeah. for yeah, yeah. cars so i think that was one of the things helping it and then you know it coincided as well with this incredibly hot used car market because mm-hmm. the other thing that happened during covid was new car production was stopped basically entirely depending on what company you were talking about but for yeah, the yeah. for the detroit 3 if I remember right, I mean, you know, things shut down in March and didn't open again, I think, until mid-May. Mm-hmm. So you had this huge crimping of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. And that was just that was just the first disruption, right? Because then you get into chips and you get into all these other things, you know. So <laughs> cheap yeah. credit. Yeah. There was all there was all this tightening of of the new car supply. And when there aren't new cars, there are less yeah. people are buying used cars and people mm-hmm. are holding their leases longer. And so that it puts all, you know, it kind of shrinks the market 
it shrinks the um, the inventory of used cars, which then drove up prices for used cars. And where Carvana was, you know, I think it sounds like where your listeners were kind of engaging with Carvana was, you know, it wasn't just for selling cars; it was also for buying cars, mm-hmm. and and or, and or I guess from the listener perspective, for selling cars both um, ways. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, because they they had a business out of you know buying your trade in. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, hopefully selling you something new. So that's, that's, I think, kind of the nutshell version of Carvana. I can go more into the history if you want, you know, what it grew out of before uh, kind of hitting that pandemic stride. I think that'd be interesting for sure. I mean, I, I couldn't help myself. I did look at the stock price this morning and I looked at just a bit of history of Carvana and noticed that it was at least $360 a share as of August 12, 2021. And then as of this recording, it's just over seven bucks a share. Seven dollars. Seven dollars. It's <laughs> okay. collapsed. Almost That's not in, the same. It's collapsed yeah, almost 98%. And yet its competitors haven't. Is it 98%? It is. is that right? If you look from peak to trough, I believe it is ninety eight percent still. That's uh, and, and even if you if you just want to set that aside, last year the equity went down ninety eight percent. And so even on a day and, and just a brief aside, because this has come up sometimes, but like you might see that like Carvana stock could go up like fifteen, twenty percent tomorrow and it would still be down ninety eight percent from its high because that's how math works. <laughs> <laughs> oh but, math, our friends. <laughs> yes, got it. So right. that three seventy kind of high was kind of everything seemed to be going right. You know, they had huge growth during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, the story that Carvana was going to kind of take over the used car industry and be the biggest, most profitable used car dealer seemed plausible to Wall Street at that point. Because, you know, a stock price isn't necessarily, it's, a stock price isn't a reflection of where a company is, right? It's a mm-hmm. reflection of where investors think the company is going yes. to be. Hello, Tesla. <laughs> yeah. and, anyway, side and, note. Yeah, side <laughs> Exactly. So when everything was going Carvana's way, everybody thought, oh my God, this like unstoppable behemoth. You know, CarMax was selling more cars, mm, but CarMax was not being valued at the same way that, that Carvana was. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned before you made me laugh with the, 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 the standard tech light blue branding. I mean, isn't this kind of the disruptor playbook? I mean, isn't this kind of, isn't Carvana kind of what Airbnb is or Uber is where it's like, we're going to do it totally different and it gets a big influx and a lot of press and a lot of hype and then and reality, never actually make a profit. Well, but reality <laughs> has to set in at some point. Right. I mean, Carvana's had Super Bowl commercials and car dispensers and all kinds of craziness and they're buying up people's cars for too much money, but it's the new way to do it. Right. And then at some yeah, point, it has I, to settle. Well, there's a few things about that. One is it's like Airbnb in that it is a new technology approach to a hard asset mm-hmm. sure. that traditionally has all sorts of complicated costs. And I would actually say it's even more – Carvana is more hard asset dependent than Airbnb, right? Because you're not mm-hmm. actually buying someone's house on sure. Airbnb. Sure, sure, sure. Right, right. You know, you're staying there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some regulatory concerns, but it's not like the regulatory concerns that come up when you have title transfer and licensing. Sure. You know, you so Carvana had kind of a tough nut to crack to start. You know, I think Carvana really liked internally to think of itself as kind of like, we're going to be the Amazon of used cars. It's an interesting idea. It sounds nice on paper, right? Like who wouldn't want to be the Amazon of X? Mm-hmm. Sure. The thing that I think makes it more complicated than it sounds is, you know, with Amazon, you have books originally, or you have some object you have in bulk, you store in a warehouse, you mm-hmm. ship, mm-hmm. you know, used cars are not 
like that. Used cars are kind of snowflakes, right? Like they've all got individual VIN numbers for a reason, right? Sure. Because yeah. they've all got their own mileage and they've uh-huh. all got their own maintenance history. Yeah. This know, book you, has 100,000 miles and it will never be the same. <laughs> if you yeah, look at you the back you, 10 pages replaced, it just won't work. Anyway, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm with you. And you can you can buy used books on Amazon, of but course. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not actually sure how much of their business it is. I mean, I'm not even sure how much books are Amazon's business anymore. But I said that that's a right. good analogy. I do see the difference for sure. Keep going. So you have that issue, and then if you have to buy a car, let's say you sell it, you know, somebody sells their car to Carvana in Maine, let's say it's like, you know, 2017 Camry with 100x thousand miles, Mm -hmm. you know, and let's say somebody in California wants to buy that car. You now have to bring that car in, you have to get it up to whatever resale standards you have and, you know, deal with whatever you need to deal with, and then you Mm -hmm. need to ship it. And it's like, so there's a lot of logistics costs, there's reconditioning costs, there's all that. Those are all expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you go to your local used car lot. It's not likely that they shipped that car from, you know, wherever. You know, they might have done a trade with a different dealer lot. But, you right. know, usually the logistics network is pretty, is much more constrained than that. It's more, more localized, um, I suppose, not shipping yeah. across the country. Yeah. So Carvana had basically bought for itself a lot of pretty intense kind of structural costs because it's dealing mm. with it's dealing with these big complicated hard assets as i think was vaguely alluded to earlier carvana was always a scale play right like it's like Mm. when we sell you know a million cars a year we will be profitable and we're spending money to make money so we're losing money now because we're only selling four hundred thousand cars a year but look at our growth and you can see that you know by the math and by the by the line on the graph like when we hit x we will be able to be profitable Mm. Uh, and will be not be not just profitable but more profitable than everybody else and, and Carvana had a few ways of kind of arguing that for itself. One was scale. Two was that Carvana was very integrated with its own kind of financing and made a lot of money off that. So it would, you know, when you bought a car from Carvana, it would generate your loan, actually. Like, so it was, a, it was not just like, I mean, you could, you could go to Carvana with your own bank and your own, or your own credit union or whatever and have your own loan, get your own financing. But Carvana made a bunch of money by generating and selling loans totally. so carvana then would would package you know hundreds or thousands of loans into you know what are called securitizations and then sell those into the market mm-hmm. and and take the profit on that carvana that was a a outsized part of carvana's gross profit relative to its competitors interesting but that's not something you put in a tv commercial obviously um, <laughs> get a loan yeah, from us that's where we really make our like, money that's not yeah. the kind of thing that anybody you know nobody nobody buys a car from Carvana because of the financing. Of course. You know, one-stop shopping does make it easy. But the financing as an arm has always been a cash cow, be it a major manufacturer or a dealer group. Sure. Or whatever. We had that local dealer group here that sold all their dealers but kept the financing because yeah, well, they were making yeah, so much money. I mean, that's something is. that's existed for True. a while. Yeah. True. And then, and then again, I mean, you know, that was another thing that got a tailwind from the pandemic, right? Because interest rates were really low which both kept financing rates down for buyers, but mm-hmm. also meant that investors looking for a good yield on where to put their money were, you know, looking for investments like, mm. you know, subprime auto, which was performing really well because everybody got stimulus checks and, mm. you know, subprime were kind of outperforming for a while during the pandemic as well. So that was another thing that kind of worked for Carvana while it was working for Carvana. And anyway, just to take one more step back, I mean, the other thing to understand about this company is that it actually spun out, you know, it's not like a Silicon Valley startup. It spun out the CEO is a man named Ernie Garcia III, and his father, Ernie Garcia II, owns a company called DriveTime. 
which I, I believe is the largest subprime auto dealer in the U.S. Buy here, pay here, mm. subprime mm. auto dealer. Okay, no kidding. And uh, it's much more kind of old-fashioned. And Carvana kind of started as a e-retail experiment. Let's see if this is doable. And then grew out from that and then okay. spun out and did an IPO in 2017. But the company's largest shareholder is still the CEO's father, Ernie Garcia II. Interesting. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And there's a lot of kind of cross connections between Carvana and this other business, Drive Time. Still uh, to this day? There's still yes. yeah. connections and tentacles there? Yeah. Okay. So Carvana will wholesale cars to Drive Time, and Drive Time will. A Drive Time owns a company called BridgeCast that services Carvana's loans and you know so on and so forth. It's all interconnected. It's so interesting because, Ben, the way we talk about cars to our listeners, there's an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. there's, this is how this car drives. This is how it makes us feel when mm-hmm. we've driven it. We love it for these characteristics, this personality. When you're driving, it stirs my soul. It does all these things. Or you know, it we, doesn't. Or, or <laughs> man, is this terrible. Please don't drive that. Yeah. yeah, that happens too. But it just strikes me in hearing you talk about Carvana and how cold and clinical they treat these cars. And there's very much a part of me that has that emotional connection with cars. Mm. But then I understand it's still a business. But to my knowledge, maybe with the exception of clothes, like that's my favorite jacket. I love jacket. I've always had it. It's worn out, but it's my favorite. There's no other object on the planet that has both that need to be navigated. Because once you have a car, well, it's my baby. It's my my car, my new car. Mm. I, I show it off to friends. I project a certain image with it. I so uh, this is my I, I thing. Would actually, I would say that I'm not sure Carvana treats that coldly. I think I probably treat that coldly, having had my job be covering the car industry. Okay, like I don't, I don't okay. write Fair. reviews of cars. I write reviews. I, I you know I write about companies that operate in this highly complex economy that is responsible for like four to four percent of GDP or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. Fair. Um, and and where Carvana differentiated itself and really sought to differentiate itself was not in, you know, I think Carvana knew that the car itself is this personal thing, but what Carvana tried to do was make the shopping experience itself something that stood out mm-hmm. and, and was not a high friction, you know, nobody was getting locked in the box. Sure. So sure. And yeah. Down and like, you know, your price is your price. And, and tried to make the user experience kind of the memorable part of the experience. And I think in a lot of ways they succeeded. But one of the things that I think tripped the company up over the past couple of years was that buying and selling cars is, is heavily regulated. It's highly complicated. Um, there's a lot of moments for the, for you know, let's say, you know, one of your listeners sells the car to Carvana but doesn't have the title or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. or just like the title gets lost, whatever. Sure, yeah. But it's like any step of friction in that process can get really complicated. And then when you're, instead of your car, you know, Carvana had this saying, you know, we sell cars, but we're not car salesmen, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't have salesmen really, or saleswomen, salespeople. Yeah. Um, they have, you know, they have people who work the phones, they have people who deliver the cars, but it's like a call center operation in a lot of ways. So then, the problem is that if there is friction in that process, if you're not getting your plate or whatever, and you know the used car salesman that you bought your car from, like you can go to that person and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. talk to their manager, and they're not getting a commission <laughs> until like that sale is really done, and it's all kind of localized yeah. in one place. If you run into friction in the Carvana process, or if you ran into friction in the Carvana process, you know you call in and you're getting 
you know, somebody at a call center in Phoenix and you live in Tennessee and they may or may not have good handle on the laws where you live. And, sure. You know, so there, th- that became uh, definitely in some ways kind of a tough part of the process for them. And then they also ended up running afoul of regulators at DMVs um, in various states who started suspending their license for, you know, selling cars. People would buy cars from Carvana and they wouldn't get a title with it and then they wouldn't be able to register it. Definitely heard about that. Yeah. What was the impetus behind that? What, what happened for that to, to go on? Cause it's to our understanding, there was nothing illegal going on. Is that correct? Is the question, why did that happen? Yeah, I guess. I I mean, I think it's mostly this friction, like, you know, it's trying to sell a bunch of cars through a streamlined mechanism when in reality it's kind of a messy process. And, you know, there's, I think the other thing is, is, you know, if you asked Carvana people back when this was kind of first emerging as an issue, a lot of times they would point the finger at the DMVs who, you know, were backed up or had changed their rules during COVID and had staffing issues and et cetera, et cetera. And I don't, I don't know who's right, but I know that I talked to plenty of Carvana customers who, you know, bought cars and, had these kind of regulatory issues. Mm. Um, but, you know, Carvana will tell you that that's, you know, the minority of, of, of users. So transactions, I guess. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners liked selling their car to Carvana. I've heard from plenty of people that it was, you know, they got the best price. It was a really low friction process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, from the selling perspective, you know, Carvana was a really good option there for, for a little while. I think that's exactly how it happened for our listeners is, is that we had a few people that wrote to us and they sold their car because they weren't actually planning on it and went, you're going to give me that much? And it's yeah. just going to involve that. Please take my car. I'll figure it out. And you know, we had, super easy. Yeah. We had those conversations for sure. But I guess so, so now we're kind of on the back end of this rise and fall to some degree. Uh, and yeah. maybe we're speculating here, but does Carvana survive? And then my secondary question is, you know, I feel like Carvana has followed the wave of what the used car market did, meaning, you know, all of a sudden there's a shortage and Carvana is one of the people buying up a lot of them. So are, is this going to help everything settle? Are these cars going to flood back into the market and swing things the other way? Let me think about the order of the questions you asked. And I'm going to start at the end, which okay, is that great. does does Carvana flood the market with inventory if it goes down? And I think the answer to that is no. Um, I don't think that Carvana's inventory, I mean, used car prices are already going down. Yes, um, definitely. The yeah. Mannheim is, you know, on a pretty sharp decline, uh, sharp and steady decline. And, and so I don't think Carvana moves the needle considerably on that one way or the other. Um, okay. Or Carvana's inventory does. Uh, also, Carvana's inventory is shrinking as the company kind of cuts cuts fat. Sure, um, sure. So I think I think their current inventory is. I'm going to spitball, but I think it's between like sixty and hundred thousand cars, mm, according okay. to some latest estimates. And a hundred thousand is high. It sounds high. Okay. So I'd say okay. probably forty forty to seventy thousand. Um, and uh, that's a lot of cars, but it's not. It's not like. A market a huge, shifting group, a huge yeah. Amount. yeah, yeah. I mean, a, you know, a, a normal a normal assembly plant cranks out like three hundred thousand something a year. So sure. So no, I don't think that there's a great Carvana glut on the market coming if the company goes under. I feel a, a little like I'm jumping around. Um, does the company survive? I don't know. Um, I mean, I think there's signs. You know, the equity has been 
pummeled pretty badly, mm -hmm. right? The shares are down quite a bit, but and Carvana owes a lot of money in debt. So one of the other things that kind of helped Carvana grow at the rate it did was that it could borrow at really low rates. Mm -hmm. um, right, right. And and that changed. Um, so when the company did a big expansion at the beginning of in the first half of last year, it ended up having to finance that at like more than twice the interest rate that it had been paying. Mm. So it's got a lot of debt to service. What's happened in the last couple months is that is that the company has hired restructuring advisors, you know, to kind of evaluate their options and or sorry, financial advisors, not mm. restructuring advisors, but mm. financial advisors with a lot of experience in restructurings, you know, which could be a bankruptcy, but could also be kind of a negotiated restructuring to to change the around the debt and capital structure of the company. Uh, and then the debtors, you know, the people or the the creditors, the people who loaned the people and institutions who loaned Carvana money, you know, are are waiting on you know seven billion dollars of debt that Carvana needs to pay. Holy moly! And they <laughs> oh um, and they're also kind of looking for how to kind of salvage this situation. So sure. I don't know if it's sure. a bankruptcy. Um, I don't know if it's a restructuring of the debt. I don't. You know, there's a lot of options on the table, and I think the company. The company right now is doing what it can to to cut its costs and kind of survive the fight until it, I think I think it's probably hoping that the the used car market you know turns again and picks up and mm -hmm. you know, interest rates go back down inflation comes under control etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. you know I think people are pretty tepid on buying used cars right now okay um, interesting and I, so I think they kind of hope that there's a rebound there I have two complete pivot questions that I'm now <laughs> <Sure>. curious about <laughs> okay right. one is you write about cars. Do you own a car? And is there a car you would like to own? Uh, I have answers to both of those. Good. Yes, I, I I didn't own a car for about ten years before I got hired into the journal. And but okay. as part of that, I moved. So I lived in Brooklyn and I lived in Montreal. Neither okay. of which are cities you need a car. Sure, sure. Um, but when I took the job at the journal, I moved to Detroit, and that is very much a city where you need a car. Pretty sure. Much. Yeah. Yeah. So I I bought a 2010 Pontiac Vibe all-wheel drive, okay, uh, which I love, and I still have. And I brought it back to New York when I came back. Oh, so you're battling survive. through the winters with it. I get that totally. Yeah. 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 And it's a uh, UAW. If someone cares, but in Detroit, you might. And uh, <laughs> Fair. Fair. You know, it's, a, uh, it's a rebadged Toyota Matrix. Yep. It's uh, very utilitarian and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I have a, I have a. There's a, there's a whole, there's a whole like kind of weird vibe, uh, click that out there, and I, I consider myself a member of it. Okay, um, right. of the cool. owners you're talking about, of yeah, the, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a, it's a passion car in its own weird way that you wouldn't expect for you know kind of a utility station wagony type thing. I know. I actually know somebody in Park City that owns one, and they they would say the same. So yeah, keep going. Interesting. So I, yeah, Pontiac Vibes up there, um, and then I guess for the for the cars that I would choose to own, were I given my druthers, I guess. Um, <laughs> so I think you know, I think I have, I have a couple answers to that question. Great. I mean, I think the, the stupid answer is a Toyota Century. Oh sure, uh, really? Okay. That's 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 a good one. That's a curveball, but it's a good one. No I like kidding. it. Keep going. That's the stupid answer. Um, <laughs> the, the slightly more intelligent answer, I think, is a. Buick Regal Tour X, probably. That's a unique car too. I can see the through line right. for your right. ownership, your choices. And then those um, are in production too, are they not? I think they are still being made. Are but they, they still might being have made? Stopped. 
I mean, they're 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 the opal. They're like the rebadged. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. they turn my head wagons. every time I see one. That's so like, funny. Oh my gosh, there's cool one. Looking. They're like they are by far the best looking Buick, but that's just my opinion, obviously. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So Buick Regal Tour X, and then I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I think if I were the thing is, I don't I don't really buy new cars, so I can't see myself getting an electric vehicle anytime soon. But okay. um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm supposed to have a good EV answer, but I don't. Not necessarily. No, not, not necessarily. necessarily. No, I, no. I, I think the cars that you've listed are really interesting. I love that. Buick Regal yeah, Tour I, X, I that's, see that's that a great choice. I think it's really fun. Line yeah, very cool to quir- pick the quirky stuff. And this is awesome, Ben. Thank you, man. This is cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's my this, pleasure. All this has made me think about, do we still need car salespeople? This entire discussion, do we still need people to sell the car? Our audience would say no. For a while, (laughs) I suppose so. But for a while, it's been, oh my gosh, well, that sold out right out from under me. I couldn't go see that car in time. That got sold. I'm just desperate to get something. And then there's other car sales techniques where it's sort of like, don't you like the features that we've talked about? We're all hoping that dies. All of us are. I mean, so we're we're all about something that streamlines the process. And And I think, I mean, the OEMs are are starting to... the automakers themselves are kind of moving in that direction too, right? Yeah, Certainly. Dealers have had kind of a stranglehold on on the business for a long time, but mm-hmm. you know, Tesla really upended that. Sure, absolutely. And the, and the other thing I think is that the supply chain issues that came up with COVID showed the automakers that they could be profitable on lower volumes. Mm. And um, so I think I think, you know, there's been talk of this for a while, but you know, moving more towards a kind of uh, like an order-based yeah. system, I think, yeah, in the U.S. Sure, because, sure. The, you know, the cost of co- of carrying, you know, I don't know, 80, 80 Dodge Rams on the lot that all have something totally. slightly different about them, you know, it's not actually the most efficient <laughs> or, or cost-effective. Yeah, so. come on down. Um, we got your Ram. Well, that's the American thinking, though. Yeah. I mean, you, have, you, have, you have your car lot in Texas. You can put a few hundred cars there. But <laughs> yeah. in Europe, it's like come into the Volvo dealer and look at the Volvos we have and then order one and we'll send it to you because yeah. we don't have a place to put it. That's, we don't have six yeah. on the lot. Yeah. That's a yeah. great point. <laughs> and, and Tesla, I mean, Tesla, you know, kind of kicked that into overdrive. For right? sure. But, but I also think that that it just in general, you know, you have this kind of rise. You've had the kind of the platformization of everything anyway, right? So kind of the next logical step is, you know, reducing the options. How many coupes do you need in a lineup? And sure. So yeah. I think there's 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 a winnowing of all that. And that, you know, that's not new, but I think it's it's gonna keep keep kind of going. Definitely affects the product planners for sure. Ben, I really appreciate your insight. This is yeah, fascinating. This is very cool. I really appreciate yeah, you sharing. It's, it's actually, I, I don't really write about cars anymore, so it's fun to, it's fun to like put these pants back on. <laughs> it's, <laughs> we it's love talking about this. It's very cool. Yeah, we, we do a, a couple of coverage on cars just every now and then. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's great to yeah. have you with us, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, yeah, so thanks for having me. Really yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Awesome. Yeah, bye guys. Thanks, Ben. Very cool to hear from Ben. Just pretty interesting. And, and just a different perspective. Plus, I also, I always love the curveballs. I also like just hearing the cars he owns and the stuff he I wants to I love that own. you asked him that. That's, that's just great. fun because you never know where that's going to go. I, yeah, I was afraid cool. he was just going to say, I don't own a car, which, you know, I, sure. I, I would get sure. why. But I love the stuff that he owns. It's fascinating. Our car debate comes from Craig in Columbia, South Carolina, who is writing about old news kinds of cars. Mm-hmm. Greg, thanks for writing. Really appreciate it. He does say that by sparing partners some of the car discussion dialogue that every car enthusiast wants to have, like during parties and dinners and social events, 
He thinks our podcast has saved quite a few relationships. <laughs> we cannot verify that. We don't know, but thank you. Please right. talk to someone else about cars. <laughs> Stop talking to me. And exactly. we are your car people for sure. Yeah. Well, Craig has always been a numbers and specs and rating guy. High fuel economy, high cargo capacity, good performance numbers, great driving, good safety, high review scores, and a reasonable price. That added up to the 2018 Volkswagen Golf Sportwagon 4Motion. Okay. It's not an all-track. It does share the body, but not the lift or the cladding. <laughs> okay, all right. You don't have to defend it. We know what it is. It's all right. <laughs> He's happy to say it's so close to perfect for him mm-hmm. that it will stay in the fleet for an upcoming driver. Okay. Which leads him to his next purchase, on to his wants. He wants a manual rear-wheel drive sports car. We all do. <laughs> True. <laughs> right? Thank, thanks for writing, Greg. Appreciate it. Yeah, and good to have you here. here. Uh-huh. Well, he's been down to the MX-5, GR86, Subaru BRZ route, but he needs something more of a daily. Where he travels. He might travel 300-plus miles once or twice a week for work, mm. mostly interstates, and no fun twisty roads in sight. So we're definitely needing more of a GT car feel than those cars provide, which I, I hear you on that. I yeah. get it. Yeah, I mean, I would still drive those cars for that drive, but, oh, yeah, I, but, sure, I, but sure. I hear you, yeah. Well, he says he looks at weights and horsepower and size and drivetrains, all that stuff. He landed on the Ford EcoBoost manual Mustang with Mm -hmm. the handling package. Mm -hmm. The numbers seem to suggest Golf R specs with rear-wheel drive, which, of course, catches his attention. The 5.0 is great, but he likes the fuel economy of the EcoBoost. Okay, He might track it once or twice, as he has in the past with cars, but he says, this is my car. This is an everyday driver road car. Interesting. All right. I have many thoughts already. Yeah, he says, why why a Mustang, though? He's seen the new Mustang stated as being similar to the old BMW Grand Tourers. Beyond that, he's looked at manual sedans, rear-wheel drive sedans, like mm-hmm. a Chevy SS. But for that money, you might as well get a Mustang GT. More tech, less money, more horsepower. Sure, I see that, yeah. He wants a fun, rewarding driver he can take long distances. Mm. And after settling on the EcoBoost Mustang, he doesn't hear about him anymore. Either the GT or the EcoBoost Mustang... He sees coverage on the model in earlier publications and podcasts and videos, but now it seems relatively forgotten in media coverage. So is it just old news overshadowed by newer models or just not a car for the enthusiasts? So many thoughts here. No, he is not buying a Cayman, any <laughs> new or old BMW or an Alpha anything. So, Craig, you have listened to the podcast. <laughs> yes, that's what that has. tells me. The other thing that's funny here, Craig, that you don't mention, and, and somebody listened to the podcast, I'm kind of surprised this didn't dawn on you in the middle of your own email, but you are a person who's driving a spec sheet. You are a person who looks at how all of the boxes get checked and you buy the right one. Now, it worked for you very, very well with that Golf Sport Wagon 4 Motion. I understand it. But you list early on, you say you are concerned about all the numbers and specs, the fuel economy, the cargo capacity, performance numbers, great driving, great good safety, high scores, reasonable price. My question is, let's say it's a list of seven things and it has five of them. Is that car out? What have you missed out on? Mm. By look, I'll go to the 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 relationship comparison. She's an eight, but she's a ten, but <laughs> they're, they're, this this sure. became a thing online for a while. Yeah. Well, they're, they're a ten, but and they have some weird quirk. And the question was always, would you take them anyway? So I'm asking you this question, Craig. I'm saying if you find a car that is great in six of your seven categories, but bad in the seventh, is it out? Is it really just out? I think Craig is learning to listen to emotion here more than his spec sheets. I hope so. I mean, the big thing I have for you, Craig, and I want to talk about why the Mustang's not being discussed as much, but I, and I want to talk about some other options, even though I think the EcoBoost would work for you. But the big thing is I want you to drive things. 
I want you to drive the things we're going to recommend, whether they check the boxes or not. Hmm. Because okay. Okay. I understand, I, I hear you advice. on what you on what yeah. you want the boxes to be checked for, and I actually think your logic in a lot of this is really good. But you need to drive more than the EcoBoost Mustang versus just going. Well, the Mustang clearly is for me. Sure, sure. I it may check every box, but yeah. but d- drive the stuff around it. So did the Aztec, right? Wait, the, the Aztec was Checked. a victory. <laughs> the the a- no, the Aztec actually. The focus group on the Aztec it, it's it's kind of notorious because the focus grouping on the Aztec was excellent. What and then we see what happened to vehicle. that. Yeah, right. Superb. Uh huh. Craig, this is interesting. I like that you landed on a car with that Volkswagen, and it does match for all of your spreadsheet. I'm I'm sure there's spreadsheets mm-hmm. behind mm-hmm. the emails here. For all of that stuff, it does match that, and you love it still. Yeah. But I like throughout the email your leading more with emotion here. I see. And that. many times all of us, we, we buy cars solely on emotion. Now it has to still fit a few things. It still has to meet yes. at least a couple of requirements without question. It's tough to make it match all of your specs. And here's what I want it to mm-hmm. do. Uh, but it's just, it's not turning my crank. Few cars do that when it comes to driving enthusiasm. You said you got that Volkswagen because it met everything, but here you are shopping for an emotional vehicle. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I like the Mustang EcoBoost. It's still got good power. Yes. It's still fun to drive. Yes. And yes, you're right. Whenever you see a car manufacturer make the pinnacle car Mm -hmm. of whatever that is, Mm -hmm. and it's the hottest, most horsepower, you know the next one's coming. The GT500 appeared and like, whoa, we're about at the end here. (laughs) I hear that ticking. Do you hear sure the clock enough. must be so about to go off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every car manufacturer does this. Mm-hmm. To last hurrah. Mm-hmm. You're right. That's You're right. just yeah. the telltale sign. And that particular Mustang, as good as it is, as much as we've driven it and loved it, it's people are ready for something new. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Ford apparently is going to deliver here based on what we've seen and heard. We have yep. not driven the seventh generation yet, the new one. But based on what I'm seeing, I'm very excited to drive it. I saw one. I saw the the concept. Couldn't open it, of course, with the concept vehicle at the recent uh, local auto show here. And it looks like a fantastic blending. And I mean that, that complimentary of the current Camaro and the current Mustang. It's mm. literally like mm-hmm. the design elements were put together. And, and building on what you're saying, Craig, the issue with the, the Mustang right now is the fact that a new model is coming. So it is on the back end of its life. So you're right. Nobody's talking about it anymore. And here's the, here's the flip side. We've done all these 50 years of 9-11. We've done the BMW Icon film. We've done mm-hmm. the, the, the Corvette American Original thing. And you know what's really interesting is the manufacturers really don't want you to compare the new one with the one just prior. Mm-hmm. They don't mm-hmm. mind. This happens at press launches. They don't mind you comparing the new one with the one that started it all from 30 years ago. They don't mind that. They love that. Let's talk about the history. That's true. But the brand new one with <laughs> yeah. the one that we sold three weeks ago that is now the old model, don't put those together. The factory just switched over to yeah, the new tooling. Because yeah. what if what if you like the old one better? They don't want journalists to do that. Also, in press fleets, these cars aren't even available. Oh, you're right. No, the, you can't get an EcoBoost Mustang to save your life out of a press fleet right now. They're still in dealerships. You can still go buy one. There's still dealerships that have them on their lots. Let's, let's go that far, right? But from a sales perspective, 
that definitely ties in with media coordination. Mm -hmm. So whatever the car company is proudest of at that moment, the newest, latest thing, usually that's what's in the press fleet. So not only is it old news by journalist standards and, quite frankly, the public buying taste. Sure, sure. It's also not available in the press fleets. You're right. Yeah. They just don't. We've. We've kind of had our run. Mm-hmm. We, we are about to change over. We want things to kind of, we want chatter to die down just a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. it can really ramp up when mm-hmm. we bring out the new one. So you've noticed there's also cycles. The new Mustang at this recording has been announced. Uh-huh. Nobody's really driven it yet. Nope. One just got auctioned at Barrett Jackson. So there's always the charity car. It's yep. almost like you can set your watch by here's how to you do things. kind of can. The release, the announcement, the charity car goes for absurd money, but yeah. it goes to a great charity wonderful somebody has the first one then the first few are built and then they're finally finally available in dealerships which means they're in press fleets so we can drive them but there's still always the option of us comparing new cars and bringing along hey what about this other one that costs less and has similar specs Mm -hmm. you don't have to go buy the new one and mustang aside yeah yeah what about this old one that Still, we we still liked. Mm-hmm. Our opinions about it didn't change. For example, the C7 Corvette. Still yeah. a great car to drive. Yes. The C8 really ramped it up. It's a new level for them. Mm-hmm. Great. But we still like that C7. Still worthy. Same thing with the Mustang. So, yeah, it's old news. That's fine. Mm-hmm. We're ready for the new one. Everybody's waited, bated breath. Mm-hmm. Yes, let that come. And if that Mustang does light your fire and you like it, I want you to let your emotions run a little bit more leash than you typically give them. I like that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I want you to give yourself permission if it Mm -hmm. really strikes you, but you know what? Uh, The fuel economy isn't quite as good as I think a turbo four should have. Okay. (laughs) And are you happy driving it? Yes. Agreed. Yes. Are we all happy? Yes. There's other cars that you might want to take a look at. I thought of the Supra, but then you said any newer old BMW, so that's out. Interesting. Can we can we Is slide it? that one by? Can can we? That's a good question. It's got the motor, but I think it it's has a Toyota choice. warranty. That's interesting. So you're talking thinking like the that two liter Supra. Yes. That's that's a I hadn't thought of that. That's good. We're also extrapolating budget out of we this. We are, yes, We're, for which sure. Which was not said anywhere, but for Mustang money for EcoBoost, that's what thirty five all done. Probably thirty five, and the and the, and the Supra would be a little more unfortunately. More. But that I hadn't thought of that. That's a good one. What if you got a GR Supra? What What if you liked it more, mm. and then this newer old BMW comment would have to be? I'm suddenly eating crow. I guess it's kind of a BMW, and I guess I kind of like it. Would you allow yourself? That's buy a that great of the question. Well, but but also let me say this, and I hate to go here, but I'm going to go here, Craig, and that is you have a Volkswagen product. I'm sorry, but they are not known for stellar reliability. No. They're just not. No. So the funny thing is you're avoiding, <laughs> you're avoiding <laughs> an old BMW or an Alpha. I see your point. But it's, but it's not like you've been driving a Lexus and it's never even breathed wrong. No, you're driving a Volkswagen product. <laughs> right. Okay. Right, so, okay. I mean, you're driving something very middle of the pack as far as reliability is concerned. And, and I, the Supra is a great one. I hadn't gone there. I love that. That's the one that popped into my mind okay. first. It was like, if we're considering Mustangs, you know, it's just slightly smaller. It has really great handling. It's just very entertaining to drive yeah uh, kind of the same money not really i, it's a I know more expensive but still but if it 
gives you a, more of an emotional connection to the car? Mm. Are you willing to spend a little bit more? I guess I like that he didn't name price because I'm yeah. wondering if he's about to let himself. That's very good. I have a couple others I want to bring up. And first off, back to the back to the driving thing, Craig. Okay, nothing wrong with the EcoBoost Mustang. Get it in a manual, get it in an auto. Nothing wrong with it. We've sure. driven it. We had it in our greatest hits piece years ago when it had just come out. There's a lot of car there for the money. Yeah, yeah. Why aren't you considering a four-cylinder turbo Camaro? Oh. They exist. Yeah, good. And, and, and I will also say this to you, Craig. Here's my challenge. Do not buy the EcoBoost Mustang without driving the four-cylinder Camaro. Fair. Just at least drive it. It may not be for you, but why is it not in consideration? Why didn't you bring both those cars to the table? So I have that question. Four-cylinder turbo Camaro. See what you can do there. But also I have three others. Oh, wow. Good. Now, these are these are older used cars. You haven't said newer used as a requirement. And again, we haven't gotten a budget. But you know what car fits here that is in this category, but more of a GT car than things like the Miata or the Genesis. I mean, the Miata, it's, it is the Genesis. The Miata or the GR86, mm-hmm. we compared it to the Genesis Coupe forever ago. The Genesis Coupe should go here. Oh, Get the V6. It's a much better engine than their 2-liter turbo. The Genesis Coupe, before Genesis was really a brand, those things are cheap now. They are cheap. They're out there. The V6 was a solid engine. You could get that, which also made me think of this car. What about, we're talking GT cars now, what about an Infiniti G37 Coupe? Or then shortly to follow, it became the Q60 Coupe. We rarely see those around here. Excellent known engines from Nissan. Nice GT cars with genuine dynamics. They're not light and agile like the GR86 or the Miata. They're not. But that's a luxury GT car you can get for good money that has known reliability. Now, I'm talking at this point V6s, so we aren't going to have great gas mileage. I know that. But, again, does it have to check every box? Then I'm going 400Z. Sorry, Z, just the Nissan brand Z. brand new Z? Well, yeah, the, uh, the problem if, is those are really expensive when I you know. finally get one. But, yeah, I see where you're yeah. going. Sorry, just the regular Z. I, I still think of it as the it, 400Z. Yeah, I, but, but, no, that helps us. That helps just, us know. Just the straight up, the brand new Z. Okay. If we're talking Mustang, you want power, you want reliability, Fuel mileage is okay, but it's the new Z with a lot of power, and you're going to be mashing your foot to the floor. So, no, you don't get good gas mileage. You, you won't. Unfortunately, they may be, what, sixty grand with markup? They, they, I, uh, no, markup horrifying. is now a thing a we got to deal with. It's a plague is what yeah. it is. Yeah. But you've got automatic, manual options. It's not the EcoBoost, but it is a turbo. A turbo. True. Hello. <laughs> There's another car I thought of, and you said in your discussion here, you want something more fun than the Golf Sport Wagon. And it's funny to me that when you got down to the EcoBoost Mustang, you said, oh, it's kind of like a Golf R. I thought it was funny that you connected those two. I'm like, I I see how you got there. You're looking at the spec sheets, but then that made me think of this. You know what might be perfect for you, Craig, is an Audi TT. You don't want a Porsche Cayman. You want a GT-style car. You like Volkswagen products. Well, that's interesting. An Audi TT. And the thing about the TT is it's been around long enough that whatever budget you're actually dealing with, Craig, there's a TT out there. And I think you might be the perfect person for that because it's going to be oh. the sportier, more interesting version of what you already like. And he's already got a hatchback. We don't need to go golf far. He's no, already got a hatch. No, there's no point. Yeah. So I think the Audi TT might be right for you as well. Craig, you've got some driving homework to do. Please let us know what you end up deciding on. Write to us with your own debate, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. Great questions. Thank you guys for writing to us on Facebook. Nate M asks, why is any vehicle bigger than a Fiat 500 considered big by auto journalists? (laughs) 
well. <laughs> we haven't gone that far, but I take your Not point. Not really that far. Everything's big. doesn't matter what it is. Apparently, the Viper is big. The Viper feels big to me. It feels big and heavy. That's the thing. The, the, here's, there's both sides of the Viper. When the Viper came out, it was somewhat big for sports cars. Somewhat. Things like the 911 were smaller than it. Then the 991, I love this joke. The 911 comes up, and it is as big as the Viper. And Porsche really didn't want you to know that. It was like half an inch longer, wasn't it? Was it was actually a little bit bigger than the Viper. Oh, my When gosh. you stand by a Viper now, that's the thing. Since the Viper was introduced to now, cars have all gotten bigger, sports cars especially, and the Viper doesn't seem big anymore, unless you drive it and it feels big when you're behind the wheel. It isn't, but it yeah. feels like it. I guess, Nate, it's that phenomenon when you start to drive a car fast and hard, does the car shrink around you? Does it get smaller? Mm. Does it get better, more agile, more nimble, more involved? Are you more part of the vehicle as you get into it? And the cars that don't give you that feeling are just big. The cars that do, wow, this feels great. That, that's a notable characteristic mm-hmm. to journalists. So therefore, most smaller cars kind of do that automatically yeah there's not really a small car out there that drives big well the slk 320 that i had i suppose that's the (laughs) the grand exception (laughs) there's always a grand exception but i take your point that is a small car that drove big (laughs) but but we but we talk about small cars a lot because you know anything under the size of the current honda civic is definitely a small car in the modern time absolutely and the civic is practically a cord size now well there's no car out there that has stayed the same size from its inception. The only one that's close is the Miata, but they went big for a while and then corrected with the new gen. Camaro's corrected a little bit. A l- maybe a little. A tiny bit. But it just seems like each subsequent generation, mm-hmm. it gets bigger, more inflated, <laughs> more stuff, longer wiring harnesses, more airbags. You know why? Because... <sighs> Every car manufacturer or Consumer Reports or whoever, every every time you buy a brand new car, because I've been on this side of this, but when, when my wife and I bought our Acadia, you get the surveys. What do you think of your new car? Well, I bought it, didn't I? But anyway, what do you think <laughs> exactly. of your new car? I bought it. Okay? You're welcome. And, and always in the questions are the things, what could we change? And there's always a question, essentially, would you like more space? And I don't think there's a human on the planet who, when given that option, wouldn't say, well, Yeah. I mean, I'd love a little more space. I have a palatial house, but would I, would I take two more rooms? Sure. Oh, my gosh. I'd like funny. a little more space. Yeah. So here's yeah. the problem. If you have a Mini Cooper designed to be small or a Miata designed to be small, that question shouldn't be on there. It's a small car. But if you say, would you like yeah. more space, and everybody, everybody you know, because here's the flip side. The analyst that looked at all the surveys goes into the boardroom and goes, what people really want in their next Miata is more space. No, they don't. <laughs> it's not they what they want. They want another it. great Miata. But yeah. well, everybody check the more space box because no one doesn't. No one goes, you know what? Make that smaller. And this is the problem with <laughs> that always that's why everything's bigger. I want to know who writes these surveys. Who writes these surveys? Is it the product planners? Is it marketing? Is it some sort of diabolical team trying to <laughs> the insert diabolical a, survey team? <laughs> insert a new model? Down low, that's smaller, and it'll eventually grow. I mean, I can't wait till the A3 becomes the size of an A8. I mean, you know that's coming, right? It probably. And then there'll be, I don't know, the, the A.5 somewhere that is now the new small car. Bob is writing in. He's saying new technology, safety or otherwise, is, is like 
everywhere in cars. He feels like it's dumbing down drivers. And he says he feels like so many drivers are just driving illiterate, or I'm going to add to your comment, Bob, don't care about driving. He said, (laughs) what do we think has contributed the most to the dumbing down of drivers? Mm. And I think it's two things. I think it's lane keep assist. And I don't mean smart cruise control. I mean, so many cars we get as press cars, we have to dig in the menu. I'm not on cruise control to turn the lane and keep assist off. It's just yeah. on by default. I'm going to try to keep you ping-ponging back and forth in the lane. All I did was turn the car Some off. Some of them yank the wheel. Yes. And so they are constantly, unless you dig in the menu, it is on by default. You haven't even touched cruise control. We're just driving, and it's trying to keep you in the lane. That one mm. and backup cameras. Now, backup cameras can be, and I've been in many cars where they are vital and helpful, and fundamentally, I'm glad they exist. But what I'm seeing more and more is people don't turn around anymore. That's true. They put the car in reverse and they look. You can see it happen. Go to any parking lot. There is the slightest head turn. And for a while, I was like, what are they doing? They're just looking at the screen. Mm-hmm. People don't actually turn around and look and get actual sense of the world around them. You rely on the beeps of oncoming traffic coming out of the bumper sensors and the and the camera, and that's all you look at. Nobody knows how to back their car anymore, or even turns. I sound like get off my lawn, but <laughs> but seriously, nobody turns around at the seat. It's like all of our spines are fused, and we can't keep the car in the lane. Yeah, and that one has cultivated that bad habit to the point where if the camera is dirty. You're just going to try to make out some vague shapes and use it anyway. Yes. You're still not going to turn around and look. In the middle of, of frozen winter time here in Park City, I'll yes. tell you something. Every backup camera is useless. They're all bad. You go skiing and the salt and muck sprays on your all backup bad. camera. You can't see a thing. You put it in reverse. And like All look, you can is see is the, is the yellow, red, uh, orange line <laughs> the, the over nothing. Yeah. It's the overlay over frosted crystals of nothingness. But you know what? I got this. I'll use it anyway because it's I'm fine. an expert. Well, right? and, and my side bumper sensors will tell me if there's oncoming traffic. Right. It'll be fine. And I'm coming back. Just everybody there back there, just get out of the way. I'm coming back. More trashing about a journalist because Kirk M. says he hears <laughs> a lot of them say, <laughs> how good, <laughs> we're having fun today, how good a vehicle looks in person rather than pictures. Usually Kirk agrees vehicles look better in person. They're a vehicle that only looks better in pictures. Canoes. <laughs> because they're always in great environments. Right. Imagine that down the block at Starbucks. They're what is that? on reels. <laughs> Kirk feels the Kia EV6 did this for him. It only looks better in pictures. He still likes it in person, but feels it looks better in video and pictures. Well, there's many things to consider. First of all, is the camera, the lens, the focal length, first mm-hmm. of all. Sure, is it a sure. telephoto shot? Is it a warped fisheye lens? Mm-hmm. What's the eye level? I mean, Todd, yeah. you, you've discussed from the very beginning, don't take photos between five and seven feet because that's how everybody sees the world. Yep. That's how tall all of us are. Yep. Jockeys and NBA stars are notwithstanding. <laughs> Except still, but you're right. Yeah. We all see that. So take, So go real low with your eye level. Hi, huh, I've never seen the car from that eye level. That's right. It either looks great or it's the money shot or like, don't ever take that photo again. Totally. Yeah. There's very few cars that look better in photos, to my opinion, Mm. because it's your spatial relationship to the vehicle. Mm. It's the distance you're, you're seeing those surfaces and the way the highlights hit your eye and the reflections and the shadows. You're seeing that real time and you're observing things that you don't see in pictures and in pictures you'll notice things you'll never see in in the real life true yeah 
Lexus is a great example. We're currently okay. driving the 2023 RX350H. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of themes going on on this car. <laughs> There's a lot going on, yes. You see it in photos. I posted some photos on social media and I thought, I've never seen that shape before. That looks mm. odd. And mm. then I go out and look at the car and like, that doesn't even bother me. I don't even notice that. Mm. Yes, generally speaking. It, again, because of your distance to the car. And I guess after today's podcast, most people have gotten used to buying cars online. But generally speaking, you want to see the car in person before you buy it. Theoretically, yeah. You want to drive it before you buy it. You should. Pretty much everything else in our lives you can buy online, from mm-hmm. furniture to kitchen gadgets to everything else. I get I get the idea from the demonstration video and the photos about mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. that is, and I'll, I guess I'll just go ahead and order it. Furniture, like, don't you want to sit on the couch before you buy it? It might not be comfortable. You might not like the... <laughs> But cars, and, and like I said, Carvana pioneered that. Buy the car in line. You'll probably love it. We'll deliver it to your house. The whole deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But generally speaking, cars are the last thing that you want to see in person because of how it makes you feel, that, that mm-hmm. distance, that relationship, that there is volume a there. You're right. in space. Yeah. Hmm. There will be cars that you think, I thought those things were huge. This has happened to us with a lot of classics. Sure, yeah. They seem monstrous. You get next to me like, really? I thought the Countach was this enormous thing. It's not even close to big. No, you're right. That's a good point. Eric is writing in and getting TV geeky with me. He said, (laughs) do we have a recommended settings for watching our YouTube content on a 4K TV? And then he acknowledges, thank you, Eric. The problem. Every display is different. You're absolutely right. Yeah. This is how when, when you color correct a movie, you have to have all of the best everything. And when you mix a movie, you have all the best everything. And then you just go, it's going to play how it plays. We can't fix it for the guy listening to it on AirPods. We can't fix it for the person watching it on a TV from 20 years ago that's t- tuned com- exactly wrong. We've got to do it for the best specs and hope for the best. There are a lot of things I would say, but... First, I'm going to tell you two quick things. First off, if you have any kind of smoothing on your television, and every brand, and you can look this up online, every brand calls it something different. But essentially, it's digital smoothing of the content. It's mm. designed to like increase the frame rate. They have all kinds of fancy ways of telling you that just, they're making the image Just better. call it a turbo. I know you say EcoBoost. Just, it's a turbo. Just. You, but all of those settings, the, all the smoothing or the whatever setting, they always make it worse any piece of content, mm-hmm. everything suddenly looks like bad soap opera lighting. Everything. The, the we Christ- should shoot a video with bad soap opera lighting. A, a Christopher Nolan dark you know, Batman film suddenly is like, why does this look like afternoon television? What's going on? It's the worst. <laughs> so make TV sure that's turned off. But beyond that, you can get, and I'm not sure how you do it beyond the way I'm about to tell you, but forever you've been able to buy DVDs or Blu-rays, follow me, I know I'm going old school, that are TV tuning. And what they show you is a series of things over the course of uh, over the course of the disc, and a lot of actual games. If you get the game, the game has got this. The video game has got this. But it essentially shows you color bars and black screens and white screens. And I most people's blacks are not dark enough. Most people's whites are too high. Most people's saturation is wrong. I cannot begin to tell you what the right setting is. But most of the time, when you go to a, a TV store, it's all cranked. So you can see that that red is ear ear just out. Oh, it's eye piercing from the back of the store. Why it? Because it's been cranked up. <laughs> oh my gosh! So yeah. you get one of these these discs and you go through the setup. This is if you want to get very geeky, Eric. You go through the setup and you make sure all of those settings are right, and then you let it ride. All the content that you play plays at those settings. More questions than we have time to get to. For Thank sure. you guys. 
I will leave you with this. A comment from Anthony Z. Is he the only one when I read the new <laughs> intro who hears whatever you need and can't afford? I, I hear it too. You are funny, I Anthony. I hear it now. I, am, I guess I admit I have done it to myself. I've dug my own hole. I get it. You're funny. But ultimately, like, emotions come into play, and I really want to find something that people love. Yeah. I, I'm good occasionally, most of the time. You're, you're aware of budget. You just ignore I'm, it a lot. I'm good with people. Sometimes I try to save money and find good things. So really appreciate your listenership. Really appreciate your rating and review. Leave that uh, wherever you find the podcast. For sure. Really please. appreciate it. And we're always looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.